Hi friends, my name is Kevin. If you're new, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Um, thanks for coming out. Today is Taco Sunday. So I'm going to do my best to not keep you long. I, this is the problem of being outside with, with Roberto over there. It's like, I'm going to, I have something really important I want to say. And you're like, but what tacos, man? So, uh, so I, I just uh, calling that out to recognize um, if you are new and visiting, we are, th- you're welcome. I mean, this is who we are. We're a wonderful, beautiful, uh, wild, crazy, ragtag bunch of group of people who are doing our best to try to figure out what does this life actually mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean? What does that look like? And actually today, um, we're in a series on the gospel according to Luke. And today what I'd like to share is actually uh, a teaching that is tremendously meaningful to me personally, and I hope it's going to be really helpful for all of you who have ever found yourself in a situation where you thought life was supposed to be one way and it turns out to be not what you expected. Things come crashing down, your entire world is demolished, and you have nowhere to go. Uh, That can happen both personally, spiritually, religiously, um, financially, And if you've ever had that experience and are a little concerned, like, what do I do? Where do I go? What what does that mean? Well, I hope today we'll provide some comfort, uh, some context, and some guidance. Um, There's obviously a lot of psychology and therapy that you might want to take advantage of. We have amazing counselors and therapists in our community. Uh, Today, I'd like to talk to you about what does that mean for you as a follower of Jesus in the midst of what... The Bible calls what this text calls desolation. Now, desolation is a word that means both destruction, but it also means evacuation. In other words, not only is the thing in front of you crumbling, but the thing in front of you that meant something no longer means the thing that it means. So it's not just the destruction of the thing. It also means the evacuation of it. Some people have run to the hills. I know that the passage that I asked Ezekiel to read during, you know, what a wonderful name is all about the destruction and the sun, moon, and stars. And I was sensing that, is that, is that going to be a good thing? But if you notice the end uh, of that passage, to lift up your eyes, what's happening there, that's essentially what's going to happen uh, as we get to the end of this message. Uh, has anybody ever actually been to the Eiffel Tower and seen it? And my guess is that if you've ever been here, there is something that happens to you when you stand there, when you see the gloriousness and the grandeur, the architecture, the, uh, infra- the, the, the mere mechanics of having to make something like this happen. And uh, I would imagine that the story behind this also means something. And can you imagine what would happen to, oh, I don't know, the entire uh, sense of your French identity or even global identity were this thing to crumble. Like, what, what would that mean? Um, this is obviously Statue of Liberty at Ellis Island. Uh, this, when you see this, and especially if you have a story that is touched or is part of the immigration story, this is not just metal and stone. This actually means something to you. And if someone were to desecrate this, in, I don't know, some particular way, that would mean something to you because of your connection with the meaning. This is the Burj Khalifa. I couldn't fit it on the screen, obviously, because it was the largest, it's the largest, or I haven't, somebody's going to fact check me on this, but at one particular point, it was the tallest building in the world. Um, 
And again, the idea of this particular building being that tall into the sky means something for the people who constructed it and the people that own it. And then, of course, if you are of a religious identity, specifically of a Muslim identity, uh, at the uh, Kaaba means something to you for when you pilgrimage, for when you take Hajj. Now, I'm showing you all these as examples. We could go through hundreds of others to describe a fundamental principle about humanity all throughout history. Buildings are cultural symbols. They're not just structures, they're cultural symbols. And those symbols are powerful physical representations of human values and identity. Those buildings are not just there to look pretty. Those buildings are there to communicate something about the human values and the human identity of the people who built them and the people who identify with them. And this is true for anything that has a cultural symbol. I remember when I was a kid, um, Fourth of July came around and I would take the American flag out to the front where we we're going to hang it and I would drag it on the ground because I didn't know any better. And I remember uh, my stepmother at the time looking at my father and saying, did you want him to do that? Is that okay with you? Now, why? It's just a piece of cloth with some colors on it. No. Symbols have deep, rich, personal, powerful senses of value and identity. And how you treat the symbol is almost equal to how you treat the person. Are you with me? Are you, this is really significant for what's going to happen in this passage in Luke 21. In this passage, the group of followers of Jesus are going to the temple. And they're going to have this huge discussion around the temple. Now, we've talked about what the temple is before. But I hope what we've just talked about helps to set in your mind a whole other level of heaviness, weight, and meaning. The temple is not just a pretty building. The temple means something. And what happens to the temple is going to mean something deeply to the people with whom they identify. Okay, here's Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5. And they're headed to the temple. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, imagine me walking by the Statue of Liberty, the Burj Khalifa, the Kaaba, and saying, see this? As beautiful as it is, it's all going to be destroyed. Or pick another cultural symbol or statue or building, and that's going to come down. I was tempted, and so I'll just mention, I didn't throw it in the slides, but think about the Twin Towers of New York and what that means. It's not just that life was lost and that a horrible tragedy, but it meant something much deeper than just that. So they're watching, they're looking at the temple. Look how beautiful it is. And of course you should. Why? Because we actually have, in addition to the biblical record, we have ancient historical records, Josephus being a prime example of a clear description of how ornate and intricate the details were in setting up this temple. He writes, this is Josephus, Now the outward face of the temple in its front wanted nothing that was likely to surprise either men's minds or their eyes, for it was covered all over with plates of gold, of great weight, and at the first rising of the sun, notice this, reflected back a very 
fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away just as they would have at the sun's own rays. I mean, think about that for a second. We're a building so splattered with gold and white that it was just, you couldn't even look at it as if you couldn't look at the sun. But this temple appeared to strangers when they were at a distance like a mountain covered with snow. For as to those parts of it that were not gilt, they were exceedingly white. Josephus goes on. On its top, it had spikes with sharp points to prevent any pollution of it by birds sitting. I love this. This Josephus is a first century writer, and he basically invented, you know, bird spikes. That's basically what he's talking about here. The very same things that we got going here. Of its stones, some of them were 45 cubits in length, five in height, and six in breadth. Here you can see some examples of the cornerstone on the foundation of the Temple Mount. This is also underground right now, but you can see how huge these stones were. Josephus goes on and waxes eloquent about the ornateness of this building for page after page after page. It is an astonishing, astounding building. So when you walk by it, just like you walk by any of the other buildings that we currently have, you are not you cannot help but be amazed and your eyes are drawn unless the sun is shining on it. And then you're just like, wow. So when you see it, you think, this is something. This is not just a pretty building. This is something. Now, to get at the definition or the meaning of what that something is, you have to understand the long history of the temple. The temple is called, obviously, the temple, but it's also called the house. And if you read your biblical narrative, starting at the very beginning, but generally speaking, starting around the kingships, which is about near the prophetic times, you will start to see that it is mentioned over and over and over again as a central location for the religious identity of the Israelites and eventually the Jews. This is a very extremely brief snapshot of Solomon first building the temple around the uh, 10th century BC. It was destroyed in 586 which caused a major identity crisis for the people. It was rebuilt in 515, given permission by Cyrus, who's a foreign king. And then Herod comes along in 37 BC, Herod being the king of Judea at that time, and says, I don't think it's big enough. Then he destroys the thing and builds something even bigger and more grandiose, because that's what Herod does. So in addition to the temple being the house the place of worship, the central economic center of the ancient Jews and ancient Israelites. In addition to that, you also have to remember that it comes from a previous building, which was also known as the tabernacle or the Mishkan. Some of you who grew up in church, especially in more charismatic circles, will know the word Shekinah. Shekinah is a word that is frequently used to describe the glory of God. So they would call this place the Mishkan from the same word. And why is that important? Because the word Mishkan or Shekinah means the very presence of God. This building represented the very sense and presence of God in the midst of the people. And if you read Exodus carefully, you will read a passage that says, you will surround yourself on this tent so that I will dwell in them. There's a very clear indication that the tent represents God's presence, but God's actual location is in the people. So this is all 
woven in to the definition and the meaning structure of the temple. Again, the building is essentially a physical representation of a religious conviction of its ideas and ideals. It is an edifice of religious identity. So whenever you read anything that happens at the temple, about the temple, for the temple, in your biblical narrative, you are reading about something that has deep, significant identity meaning for the people who are attempting to follow God, be followers of Jesus, etc. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Read Acts because essentially the temple is going to be described as who? Not the building, but us. That's huge. That's a huge shift in religious consciousness that the very ornate building that we look to to describe God's presence is now going to be in us, which is why we have done our part to try to put so much emphasis on the community because this is where we see God's presence. Okay, so that's not, that's a different sermon. Stop it. Okay, Luke 21 continues. They asked him, remember Jesus says all these stones are going to be thrown out. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray for many will come in my name and say, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. Have we learned our lesson? <laughs> no, no, we, ha- we are still doing this. We are still chasing after when is that time going to be? And it's understandable. If somebody was to tell you that your religious identity was going to be destroyed, wouldn't you want to know when? It's basically the disciples, Jesus saying the end is near and the disciples are saying, hey, can you be a little bit more specific here? I'd really like to know. When you hear of wars and insurrections, this is the passage that Ezekiel read, do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Notice this phrase, do not be terrified. Much of what we're going to read sounds very gloom and like destruction is going to happen. But I'd like to encourage you, do not miss the counsel in the midst of the cataclysm. You're going to see this over and over and over. Woven through all of these negative things that are happening, Jesus is going to be giving some advice here. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. There it is. Don't miss it. All these bad things are going to happen. Look at it as an opportunity. So I'm starting to set the seeds as to what Jesus is doing here. Bad things are going to happen. You're going to be put in jail. Stones are going to be thrown down. The entire destruction is happening. But do not fear and get ready because an opportunity is coming. This dissonance, this paradox of the destruction So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Notice it again. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain souls. Hang on. Don't fret. It's going to be bad. Stick with it. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. There's that phrase. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains and those inside the city must leave it 
and those out in the country must not enter it. We've talked about this before when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the siege and how war would happen during the ancient times. And one of the things that sometimes gets confusing in religious circles is that because of Jesus' statement about an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, um, but I say turn the other cheek, we kind of think that you're just supposed to take it. There are other places where Jesus teaches, get out, flee. It's not going to be safe for you here. just want to point that out, that there's context for all of these teachings. Leave. Don't try to get back in the city. It's not going to be good for you. Uh, if you do some historical study, around the year 70, sorry, around the year 68 to 70 AD, there is a group of religious people that actually fled and founded another city, and they believe this is an exact um, reference. Th that group of people is an exact uh, corollary to this teaching here. For all these days, for these are days of vengeance as a fulfillment of all that is written. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. Of course, because who wants to be pregnant or nursing during this kind of time? For there will be great distress on earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. And Gentiles, typo. Until the time... Uh, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distressed among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. I mean, this is not just happening to the building. This is happening to the entire cosmos. Now, just a note, footnote. This is free for you tonight. A lot of people hear this language and think that it is merely symbolic or metaphorical language, and Jesus is being just kind of speaking above and beyond. But... You and I both know, in our recent memory, a time when the sun, the moon, and the stars quite literally turned blood red. And when you look at this, and you, th you think about the destruction of what's happening, how horrible that would be to turn the sun, moon, stars red, does this look familiar to you? So the language that is used there is both metaphorical, but it's also quite literal. The kind of destruction that they're facing is this kind of destruction. And I don't know about you, but I remember feeling something when I looked out my window that, that period of time. Like, dear Lord, is the world truly coming to an end? So you know what it's like. You have that sense of, you know Luke 21. You've been there. You've felt this. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is an artist's rendition of what the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD may have looked like or felt like. And if you take time to look this image up and just slowly pan over the faces of the people, you will get a sense this was bad. Pain, torture, destruction, death, blood filling up the streets. And the entire symbol and representation of God's presence, God's goodness, the very thing that gave me certainty and security in my religious identity is going up in flames by a foreign power. This is huge. This isn't just about an event. This is about a complete collapse 
of my religious imagination, my spiritual identity, my belief in who God is, it's going away. It's being destroyed. Titus, who happened to have been the Roman emperor at that time, uh, was a commander then, became emperor, went back to Rome after destroying Jerusalem. And as you do, you build a monument to say how great you are. This is the Arch of Titus, and inside the Arch of Titus, you can see a depiction of the Roman army taking away both the menorah inside the temple and the Ark of the Covenant. So you can go to Rome and see that to this day. This is a memorial to that event in Luke 21 that Jesus is talking about, the destruction of the temple. Okay, so you're like, but is there anything... Just wait, there's, there's good stuff coming, okay? I mean, this is all bad. This is really bad, but just wait. And I know some of you are like, I hate waiting. <laughs> Notice what Jesus says next. In the midst of all of this bad, horrible destruction, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things began to take place, stand up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. To which all the disciples said, What? <laughs> Jesus just went through an entire litany of all the bad things that are going to happen to a building and a structure that represents everything that I understand to be what is secure and true and real and right and certain in this world about who I am and my place, and you're telling me my redemption is drawing near? This doesn't make any sense. How is that, how is my redemption drawing near? How is the Son of Man showing up when my entire world is falling apart? And then he goes on. He adds to this. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees as soon as they sprout leaves. You can see for yourself and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Immediately after all, your wait, wait, summer is here? Summer vacation is coming right after the destruction of the temple? The kingdom of God is near. My words are not going to pass away. This makes no sense whatsoever. Just remember, just a few verses, they were walking by the temple and saying, look at how beautiful this place is. And Jesus says, it's all going to hell. It's all coming down. When I was growing up reading passages such as the destruction of the temple, and the apocalyptic literature, and the destruction of all of these things, I was taught to interpret this essentially as the sky is falling. And I was to interpret this as to say, see what Jesus is saying is that everything that we know about the space-time continuum and the physical earth is all going to weigh. It was essentially apocalyptic. It was like, this is Jesus predicting the end of the world. And now we have to try to figure out when is that end going to happen. They were right. This is a prediction about the end of the world. But it's not a prediction about the end of the world as we often frequently think about it. He is talking about the end of the world, but as we know it. The temple was the center of everything of what made us certain and, and secure. Here's what 
Jesus actually said. The end is coming. The end is near. And there are still Christians that are very much trying to calculate when is that end coming? Because clearly we're still around, so that end must be coming. But this is what Jesus actually said. Actually, this is just the beginning. Your redemption is now coming. The Son of Man is arriving. The kingdom of God is drawing near. When that happens, when the destruction of the temple takes place, when the edifice that you have built no longer exists, that's when your faith begins. By the way, this is exactly what the gospel is. The good news about Jesus is an event that happened that radically changed the whole world, and the world is not the same world that we lived in anymore. That's exactly this definition. So what happens in Luke 21 is, number one, historically true. There was a destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. Look it up. It's an incredible, I mean, it's, it's worth a movie. But the story is also a call to those people in that time who are followers of Jesus to not lose heart, to not disdain, to not lose hope, to recognize that your redemption is drawing close. And what I'd like to propose to you, my friends, today is that this story is still happening. The idea that we build edifices to our religious identity, find our security and our certainty in those religious edifices, watch those edifices fall and be destroyed, and that being the beginning of a whole new world in which our faith takes new Life is exactly the story that I think many of us have lived and will continue to live. Because as soon as Jerusalem was destroyed, the Jesus movement took off. In other words, if you take a look at history, the first followers of Jesus did exactly what Jesus said. Okay, we don't have to sacrifice at the temple anymore. We don't have to go to the holidays at the temple anymore. We don't have to recognize the temple as the central location of God's presence. And again, getting ahead of ourselves, read Acts. That's because the presence of God is not in the temple, it's in us. And we are now empowered with a whole new faith and whole new life. So my proposal to you, my friends, for us and for many of us is that we are actually still building edifices of religious identities, ideals, and ideas. We are still doing this. I'll give you a couple examples there are dozens of others that you will probably think of. One of those religious edifices is the celebrity of certain Christian pastors and leaders. We have talked extensively at Spark about us attempting, trying very hard to be anti-celebrity. That's been a theme since the very beginning. Because we don't want to build a religious edifice. We don't want to build our religious identity around one or two people that happen to be famous or write lots of books, etc. So this is an edifice that we build. These are our leaders. We look to them to guide the way. And then all of a sudden we recognize that those, those edifices that we thought were so secure and so certain don't actually turn out to be exactly what we thought they were to be. And what's so frustrating about this is that we know. We should know this. 1 Corinthians 1. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. We from the very beginning, Paul was identifying this very problem. I follow this person. I follow this, I follow this person. 
is Christ divided? Is, is our faith really that bifurcated that you people find this? 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn, turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. So we know this in our text. We know that this is a propensity that we have to follow after people that test, just tell us what we want to know, that make us feel good about our religious identity. But when this happens, when you build that religious edifice and then it all comes crashing down and you're not quite sure, what in the world do I do now? Remember, Jesus said, this is just actually the beginning. There's a whole new life. There's a whole new redemption. There's a whole new coming of God's kingdom that is happening because finally the edifice is brought down. It was never supposed to be there in the first place. I was brought up with a lot of religious thinking around creation and evolution and the ark and the literalism of it all. And I was taught that if you ever found anything true in the evolutionary history, that would mean the Bible is false, etc. So we, we built up a religious edifice about certain theologies. And then I start to learn and I start to read and you start to go, wait a second, I'm not quite sure if this really matches. And then this happens, Ark Encounter in Kentucky suing after flooding causes property damage. <laughs> True story, by the way. I love that headline, it's like my favorite. And then you start to realize, wait a second. The interpretive construct that I've been giving was somebody's religious edifice. As soon as I go back to the biblical story and the biblical narrative, I don't see what they were telling me. I've built something up and caused that thing to be my certainty, my identity. So when that goes away, I am either stuck with a sense of, I don't know what to do with my faith anymore. Or maybe I can realize this is actually just the beginning. I'm discovering something new about my text, about my story, about my heritage that I couldn't see before through the edifice of my religious identity. In ethics, I hear this story so frequently and I know there are people in our congregation that have lived this story. I know exactly what the Bible says about sexual identity and about marriage. It's very, very clear. And I shouldn't ever... Ever. If I were to question that, then clearly I'm questioning the entire Bible. I'm questioning the entire story. I don't even know what to believe anymore, right? Another religious edifice that we have built and we have constructed until some sort of desolation and cataclysm comes your way. And you realize that the edifice that you've built doesn't work anymore. And you're, you have a choice. You can either hold on to the edifice or you can recognize that when it comes down, it's actually just the beginning. And I've heard so many stories of parents and family members and friends recognizing that when I started to see things differently, my mind and my heart began to open up to God's amazing, fabulous, capacious, all-consuming love that has no boundaries. Whereas before, I thought there were boundaries. When the edifice comes down, it's just the beginning. The redemption is drawing close. Obviously, in recent history, we have had to struggle and wrestle with, and every single one of you have had conversations with friends and family members regarding what the heck is this Christianity and evangelicalism doing with all of this politics? 
and you've had to struggle and wrestle with that kind of identity and that kind of cultural aspect. And then you realize that that edifice that we have built regarding certain hierarchical structures, certain ethical ways in which it's supposed to be done, certain practices or denominational ways in which things are supposed to be certain and true, they don't actually fit and work completely the way that I thought they were to be working. And for many of us, we have come to this point and we've got, I'm out. The edifice is down. I can't do this anymore. The faith is gone. I can't believe I was a part, whatever. There are many of us that have had to wrestle with this question. My encouragement to you, the end is near. And that's such a beautiful thing. Your redemption is drawing nigh. It's actually just the beginning. When that religious edifice comes down, there's a whole new life. The Son of Man is coming. The kingdom of God is drawing near. Hallelujah. I'm not very charismatic, but there's my charismatic moment. <laughs> so my friends, we are still building edifices of religious identities, ideas, ideals, ideas, ideals, and identities today. We still, this is just natural. We've been doing this throughout the dawn of time. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that we need security, certainty. We need confidence. We need an anchor. This world is chaotic. It absolutely is. Where do I put my trust and my faith? If we understand Jesus' teachings here regarding the temple, when we ask the question, what do you do when that gets destroyed? Where do you turn? It's very, very simple. There is another sense of security, confidence that you have. It's in Jesus. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I will tell you, I've had so many conversations with people who claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus, and actually don't know Jesus. They know all the criticisms of Jesus, but they actually haven't read through the gospel accounts to try to figure out what did he teach. They haven't actually read through Acts to try to figure out what was the early church. They actually haven't soaked themselves in. So this is not a shame or blame thing. It's just a recognition that the Jesus that you may be getting is being filtered through all the news feeds that you're getting on social media, but not the actual person of Jesus. Because those disciples at the temple faced Jesus and he said to them, don't worry, don't, worry, don't fret. Your redemption's close. The kingdom of God is drawing close. There are these incredible passages that should have given us this sense all along. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and all fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. We've known this. This is in our heritage. This is in our text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. That will be a healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. There are people in our congregation, in our world, in our lives, that's right here. The thing's coming down. And I don't know what to do. And I'm so disillusioned. I don't, I don't know what prayer is anymore. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I don't even want to say the name of Jesus. Please don't make me sing that song ever again. I don't even want to attend church. Why? Because church has been so toxic and so damaging that even the word church or showing up to a service is activating my fight or flight system. That's how bad it's been. 
I want you to know I get it. It is painful. And it is heartbreaking that the very thing that's supposed to bring life is the thing that brings destruction. And I wish I could fix it. I really wish I could fix it. But as these stones all come down, there is another stone. There is another stone that is part of our story. Because this stone got rolled away and a whole new life came up out of that destruction. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing. That's right. When the thing comes crashing down and rejected, just as we sang, or as we will sing, it's going to become a new cornerstone, a new building, a whole new way of doing life. Your redemption is drawing near. My friends, the destruction of the edifice is the hope of a brand new life. That's why one of our core values is the resurrection. And sometimes, some things just simply have to die in order for a whole new beginning to live. So my hope and my encouragement for you is that wherever you might happen to be in this journey of faith, maybe your edifice hasn't fallen yet. Put your hope in Jesus because maybe one day it will. Maybe your edifice has destroyed your soul. I get it. It's painful. Your redemption can begin even in that moment, in that place. As we take communion, uh, I'd like to encourage all of us to see once again in these symbols a representation of the new life that came up out of the grave, out of the darkness, out of the destruction. Because this is exactly what this is. Body and blood, broken, destroyed, and every week we partake, and what happens? A whole new life begins. So you are invited to the table. Uh, we do have the gluten-free on this side. To come and in this same spirit of whole new life and whole new redemption, whole new kingdom of God drawing near, to take this and to recognize that in this moment, new life, once again, is happening. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as we have said every single week, all are truly welcome at this table.